Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 116. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. We all know to increase your odds of success, you need to increase your knowledge. With Audible.com, it's never been easier. Go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get your free 30-day trial today and become unstoppable. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Thomas McNaughton. Chef, how are you today? How's it going? Great to, great to be on the show here. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to have you. Are you ready to uh, give us some incredible advice that's going to make some restaurant dreams unstoppable? <laughs> I don't know about that, but let's, let's, uh, let's dive in. I'm sure you're going to be incredible. So a New Jersey native and Culinary Institute of America grad, uh, Chef Thomas McNaughton, has what seems like a seemingly like all-in or all-or-nothing approach to his incredible career. Uh, today, his roots are settled in San Francisco, where he has joined forces with uh, the Timia's restaurant group uh, as executive chef overseeing Flower and Water, Central Kitchen, and uh, the Sala. Sal- I'm gonna, you're going to have to help me out again. <laughs> the Sala Maria. <laughs> Sala Maria. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, he, he has been nominated by the James Beard Foundation as a rising star chef of the year in 2011, 2012, 2013. In 2010, Flower and Water was nominated as the best new restaurant. Uh, this is just a snap view of who you are, an aerial view of what you got going on. So I'm going to hand it over to you to kind of give us the big picture, starting with, I mean, when did you know that this was going to be more than just a job and it was going to be your career, your passion? Right, yeah. I mean, I started at a a very young age. Um, I started washing dishes in a kitchen when I was 14 years old, and um, I was just kind of enthralled with the, I mean, at first the atmosphere, you know, the, the excitement, the controlled chaos, uh, everything about a kitchen atmosphere. And it was something where, uh, I always loved, uh, working with my hands. And if you were good, if you worked really hard, it was really quite easy to move up. And that's from washing dishes to show, you know, work ethic to being able to prep really, really simple things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was uh, it was probably around where I was 16 or 17 years old where I started to take it much more seriously and, and decided that was uh, the the career path for me. And I was, you know, buying kitchen equipment and embarrassingly buying kitchen equipment and telling my friends it was for my girlfriend or my mother. And, you know, at first it wasn't, um, <laughs> I, I guess I was trying to hide it a little bit, you know. Oh, man, you're going to have that pride. You just got to let it shine, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really want to uh, point out, I mean, your success didn't come overnight, and you have what sounds like an incredible story. I mean, you, at a time, you were living at a barbershop. Did I catch that in your bio? Yeah. I mean, tell us, I mean, just yeah. tell us what that was like and what that was all about. Sure. I actually, I actually um, dropped out of culinary school about halfway through, it was at a time where it was um, trying to set uh, set an externship in place, and it's very standard for, for most culinary schools to have a, a set uh, externship program where you're working for a certain amount of months in the field, which I think is incredibly important. Um, and for I, 
I wanted to go to California. I was obsessed with farmers. Uh, I was obsessed with the Bay Area, and quite frankly, it was probably because it was the, the farthest place I could go from New Jersey. And um, I was, was really, really set on doing my uh, externship at a restaurant in San Francisco called La Folie. And it's a very, very classic, small um, uh, French restaurant. And I sent my resume all over the Bay Area, and Chef Roland Passeau uh, was the only one that called me on the mm-hmm. phone. And it wasn't, uh, I wasn't talking to an HR department. I wasn't talking to, you know, a personal assistant. I was talking to the chef. And um, I was just obsessed with getting that hands-on training mm-hmm. in a tiny kitchen. And so it didn't work out with the school to, to utilize it as a uh, – as a externship, so Roland, in his, uh, he, he lived in the Bay Area for about 30 years now, and you can still hardly understand his French accent. And um, he said, you know, if you if you come if you move out here, you can work for two weeks for free, uh, and if we like you, we'll start paying you. And so, young dumb, I kind of dropped everything and got a uh, apartment on Craigslist for $500, and never even looked at it. Never even saw a photo, and it turns out it was a, an old barber shop. Um, that, that's a really, really interesting story. And um, <laughs> after two weeks, I got the the, the, the sign of uh, approval, and ended up working for a little bit over a year, about a year and a half, and decided to finally go finish up school. But you know, it was that it was that first big city restaurant. You know that. That experience of, uh, you know, my entire career up to that point was just working in country clubs in South Jersey. And um, this was, you know, in my mind, the real deal. All of a sudden, I kind of made it to a big city restaurant. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hardships that go on. Certainly at the beginning of a career, there's a lot of sacrifices. And certainly with time and, you know, very early on at 16, 17 years old, I said, this is this is going to be my profession. I, I, I like in, uh, being a chef. Being a cook, uh, working in a, in, a, in a professional kitchen like a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can read all the books that you want to. You can go to school for being a blacksmith. You can read all the books you want to, but you really have to pound metal to fully understand it. You mm-hmm. know, to really understand the craft of being a of a of a, uh, a blacksmith. And I think certainly with this day and age, you can you can Google how to make a souffle, and within 30 seconds, you're going to get 10 answers on how to make the perfect souffle. Um, and I think it's really important that most people understand that at that point, you read that recipe and you made this great souffle, you don't really understand how a souffle works. You have to make hundreds and hundreds of souffles to really, you know, um, fully understand why you're doing something, what happens in a large-scale production. And um, that was really important to me at a very young age. So I just kind of put my head down, you yeah. know, and just work. I love your, your hands-on approach, and you're all in just, you know, full-on, fully engaged, like all or nothing. I mean, you just had, like, this this vision of what you wanted to do with, like, you know, working with food, and, like, you seemed so passionate. But, like, you just went all in, and, like, you not like you're willing to live in a barber shop. And I don't think people are usually yeah. <laughs> willing to, like, take those chances to get to where they have to go. And then, like, you just, you did, like, so much commitment with just travel. Like, you, and you, you went back and forth right. from Europe to San Francisco. I think I counted, like, three or four times. And, like, just so yeah. committed to getting that hands-on experience and committed to your craft and to learning. And, I, I mean, I just wanted to point that commitment out to just that hands-on uh, learning is so important. And I think we can all learn yeah. so much from that. And you're a great example. I think that uh, that kind of all-in mentality for me was so important because there is, for me, there's why have uh, why be 
why be part of a middle ground of the restaurant industry when there is so many sacrifices? Mm-hmm. There's going to be sacrifices at any level of a job, and you know the 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 level of a, of a chef is all encompassing. It's it's not uh, not being around for holidays, weekends, you know, um, special events. Uh, it's all encompassing, and a successful restaurant every single night is Saturday night. Every single night's incredibly busy, mm-hmm. and I like in a, a, a restaurant to like a house of cards. It's literally, you're building a house of cards every single day, mm-hmm. and it can crumble at any moment. There's, there's too many variables that go into it. Yeah. And if, if I was going to take that as a career, um, I want to go as far as I can, you know, and, yeah. and jump into it kind of head first. And and why why be mediocre, you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And just kind of jump in and. <clears throat> Um, it it certainly made you know coming up within the, the restaurant industry. It certainly made for a different um, a different type of living, mm-hmm. to put it bluntly. You know where you make sacrifices, and you know uh, for me, I just didn't stick my head up for for many years. And and honestly, it's only to the point we started Flower and Water five and a half years ago. Yeah. And uh, you know we started Natimius Restaurant Group with my partners. Uh, David White and David Steele, and, you know, it, it's never, there, there's certainly never a point of rest, especially, you know, opening so many restaurants, and, that, and that's what that's what fuels a certain individual, you know? Mm-hmm. I need that. I need that adrenaline and, you know, that, that yeah. push. And, and Chef, I, I think we're, yeah. we're kind of diving into your it factors. We're going to get those in a little bit, but before we do get those uh, it factors, I'm going to ask you to get this motivational, inspirational ball going, and we're going to have you do that by sharing a success quote or some kind of mantra you live by every day? Uh, um, I I think that if it's one thing that I try to instill in every individual, it doesn't matter part of the kitchen, office, HR, instill in every single person in a Timmy's restaurant group, uh, that failure is a necessity. Mm -hmm. You know, every, every single day, failure is a necessity to make yourself a better person, make a restaurant, a uh, better atmosphere, make a plate of food uh, that much more interesting. In this industry, you know, you have to fail to learn from, and you have to be okay with that and embrace it and, and take it in a positive way. You, you learn more from any failure than certainly any success. And as long as people know how to utilize failure correctly, Mm-hmm. They're they're truly pushing themselves at that point. You I, know? I really love that mentality, and, and it seems it's just it's a really interesting way to look at it because in this industry we are constantly striving for perfection. So in a way, mm-hmm. we are constantly failing because we're never going to be right. perfect. We can only be better than a better version of ourselves yesterday. So I mean, that's just Certainly. an incredible. Uh, just I guess I mean I guess inspirational and motivational way of looking at everything you do. I love it. Thank you for sharing right. that. Our uh, our kitchens, the entire restaurant group is very much a collaborative uh, effort, mm-hmm. and you know that that idea of failing and learning it takes a collaborative nature. I think that a lot of a lot of places that um, don't really accept or you know or, or you know you feel something somebody's over your head screaming at you and and throwing things around and yeah you know that, that's when people start to hide mm-hmm. and they start to kind of withdraw and pull back and not say like no you know what we're, we're going to do this again we're going to make this better and yeah, kind of push each, it. each other as a team <laughs> yeah. i love it man it's great stuff so uh, i feel like i'm getting to know you and uh, we're really going to dive into what it is about you, Chef Thomas, that really makes you successful. What is your it factor? I think that ever, I mean, 
it's been with me, you know, uh, as long as I can remember. Just an incredibly inquisitive nature mm. that I want to, I, and I think that it, it's so in line with being successful in a kitchen, being a successful wine cook, is just asking the right questions and just saying literally why. Mm. Well, why does this happen? Why do we do this? And that incredible, inquisitive nature, um, you know, it. It, it's something that I always, I always want to get to the bottom of something. You know, we, we, we do so many processes in the restaurant group. You know, we have uh, vinegar barrels and a vinegar uh, addict. You know, we're making vinegar to learn about vinegar. Mm-hmm. I'm not capable. I'm not capable. You know, right now we have a ton of uh, red wine uh, uh, vinegar going. I'm not capable of making the best red wine vinegar in America mm-hmm. right now, in the world right now, certainly. But I'm capable of making a really good product, and I'm capable of learning from it. If we make vinegar, if we ask all the questions, like, well, how is it produced, and why do we introduce this, and, mm-hmm. well, why, why do we age it this long? And um, everything about that is teaching us about vinegar. When we go to season a dish with that red wine vinegar, we're thinking about it differently. We're thinking about it in an educated uh, standpoint. Uh, because we we somewhat understand the process, and I think that that inquisitive nature, um, you know, all, all young cooks should have going into the kitchen. You, why do we, why do we on our on our station? Why do we put the salt here? You know, yeah. why does the salt go right here? Can we move it here? And if you ask that uh, those, those those questions and the right questions at the right time, I think that it, it really pushes you forward. Absolutely, I, th- I think just in general, people know why. If it's not just because, but they actually get an explanation, and they are ten times more likely to do it because now they know why. They know the purpose, right. and people are just way more likely to jump on board. But just also that inquisitive nature of always when you are when you are inquisitive, you're always pulling back the layers, and things are like you say, you know, you're always failing because you find a better way to do it, and you're failing forward. So that's awesome stuff. Right. And you're giving us great examples. But here at Restaurant Unstoppable, we really, really learn through stories. So can you think of a specific story where this inquisitive nature of yours helped you get to that next level? Like bring us down to like the second. All the key philosophies of this restaurant group were born out of flour and water just because mm-hmm. it was uh, together with our partnership, our, our first restaurant. And when me, Dave and Dave signed on the dotted line, we said, we're going to be equal in, in everything that we do mm-hmm. going forward. And, a lot of the key, the key fundamentals of the restaurant group were born out of farm. And we automatically, uh, certainly from the kitchen side, set boxes that we had to play in. Meaning, all the way from, we're only going to buy whole animals, um, and that's the philosophy of the restaurant, and we have to stick by it. Now, that makes things very, very difficult at times. We don't have just a case of tenderloins that we're pulling out of Kyovac and, and searing off for service. And um, that that's a box that we have to play in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's always how I approach um, key things within the restaurant group. They'll be, they'll be, we're in California right now where it seems really, really soon, but this next week we'll have asparagus from mm-hmm. our farms, right? Yep. Um, Last season with asparagus, we said, all right, this entire season with asparagus, we are not allowing asparagus to go on the plate with an egg. Okay. It's a great combo. Everyone does it. Um, if we set that box for ourselves, this season for asparagus, we're not allowed to put egg and asparagus on the same plate, whatever that is, yep. sauce, biche, a fried egg, whatever it is, heartball. Um, that's a box that we had to work in that season, that season and it, to me, it's forces 
creativity. Mm. You know, okay, we so only have one animal. We have to make this work. I love it. So, I mean, I can kind of see how this is working into your inquisitive side. So now that you've forced these, um, basically what you're doing is you're creating these standards, these limitations to really let that inquisitive side like flourish. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's great advice. All right. So we're getting to know you. We we have your it factor of being inquisitive and uh, being just always learning and never thinking of failure as a bad thing, but as a good thing. Um, These are great things, but now we need to hear about a failure in your life. I'm sure not everything you did was right the first time around. So let's talk about one of your failures, which was a huge failure, a time where you just landed hard on your ass, Chef, (laughs) and what you learned from this failure and how you got back up. uh, Which one? (laughs) (laughs) The best Um, one. (laughs) The the best one. I mean, I have... Man, I'm gonna need a, I'm gonna need some some whiskey on the rocks over here to really go through this. <laughs> Take your time. I'm I'm here all night. Um, one of the most profound things that happened in my career that that still um, you know has so many layers of complexity to it was we opened Flower and Water five and a half years ago. Central Kitchen and Salou Maria are about a half a block down the uh, down the road. Okay. Flour and water. We bought a $500 stove to cook off of. It was a, uh, you know, the the kitchen was just barely pieced together, and you know, buying things on eBay, and because we didn't have that much money. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, day one of flour and water opening at 5:30, I'm like dry heaving in the bathroom, like, you know, this is a massive, massive undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so hard the way that we did it. We just pieced everything together. We didn't have a lot of money, and. I, I just remember being that was so, so incredibly different. When we did the investment package for Salou Maria and Central Kitchen, we did the complete opposite. Okay. We have a screaming successful screaming successful restaurant, um, flour and water down the street. We're going to open up the Central Kitchen Salou Maria, and, you know, I need this 1946 antique Burkle slicer. I can't. I can't live without it. The <laughs> kitchen needs copper pots, and you know we have a jade, uh, a jade uh, suite, and brand new equipment. And the dial all of a sudden was so far on the other end that, in my opinion, it, it created more difficulties and more sacrifices in putting together a great restaurant. So I just want to make sure I understand when you were starting Flour and Water, um, you were doing it in a very a new. New, like an approach with like new, uh, I guess, kitchen appliances and everything kind of seemed fresh. But when you were going to right. Central Kitchen and uh, someone, like, I'm going to say it wrong again. I know I am. Can you spit it out for me if, I, if you don't mind? Salou Maria. Salou Maria. Thank you. So it's exactly like it, it's a very classic. Uh, so Salumi. Salou Maria. So I'll get it yeah, right. Salou Maria. Salou Maria. Yeah. So these these uh, newer restaurants are actually kind of an older approach, like a more of a classical. Uh, you want to do more classical cooking with like the classical way of cooking uh, using classical appliances. And what was what exactly was the failure there? Um, spent too much money. <laughs> I didn't look at it. Um, you know, a there, there's certainly something. You know, they say a sophomore uh, album. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's uh, something very true to a sophomore restaurant failing. Uh, today, Salou Maria and Central Kitchen um, are, you know, uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing, amazing product that comes out of the, the kitchen and the level of service and everything about it. It, it, it was the classic uh, sophomore restaurant. We're mm-hmm. successful. No, let's spend more money. Let's, 
you know, that's fine. Put it on the balance sheet. And then that, that creates a, 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 a difficult stance for investors. And um, we were, at the end of the day, we're successful. But there's a balance between, yeah. you know, there's, there's a balance between both sets of those dollars. Buying the $500 broken stove to cook off of and buying the $30,000 jade sweep um, because we can't live without it. Yeah. Um, what, you know. what was the major repercussion if you could like limit it down to one because of spending too much, like what came of that? That was your maybe a, a setback or something that happened that really made you feel it hard. A restaurateur side of it, from a business owner side of it, uh, the more money that you spend, the more money you have to pay back. Mm. And then you know, with with having so much invested in a restaurant, it makes money tight. You know, to be mm-hmm. quite frank, and and you have to start to think of. You can't say, hey, okay, let's just get three. Uh, uh, whole hogs this week saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we have to make it happen with two hogs. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it just makes money money much tighter to, to have wiggle room. Mm-hmm. So it was at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that taught me more about operating a restaurant. Uh, quite frankly, and maybe I'm being a little too honest here, uh, running a restaurant like Flour and Water doesn't create an amazing uh, operator because it, it, it it's real. It's quite successful. Busy since day one. We didn't spend a lot of money, and and we could grow. There there was no financial um, constrictions, mm. you know. And yeah. there certainly was with spending a ton, and and it it made me a great operator uh, from that failure. Mm. Uh, I mean, I love it, man. You're you're getting so specific, and you're bringing us down, giving us amazing details. And I think you're you know that one of that those if factors you had being that you don't believe really in failure you only believe in learning but you put yourself in that position that you learned so much and you were constantly taking something right. away and because of that i believe that you know you were able to come out the other side i think we can all learn something from that very specific story that you shared with us thank yeah, you absolutely. awesome yeah, definitely. we're going to dive into the part of the interview that i call knowledge bomb chef and basically what you're going to do is just drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us and it's going to be kind of like a speed uh, round okay all yeah right. let's go all right, so what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? Every single chef that wants their heads down, you know, and they want to they perfect their craft, uh, find a business partner. Mm-hmm. Find a business partner that truly understands how capital and money works. And what's your best advice on trying to find a good business partner? Um, you, need, you need a yin and a yang. You know, my, my two partners, David White and David Steele, um, we are constantly butting heads in a great way. We, we keep, you know, checks and balances and the yin and the yang. If I, if I had the, the, the same person that has the same ideals as me and the same background, the same philosophy, there's not, there's, there's zero depth to that partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, a partnership is a level of support and picking up the ball when you don't necessarily know when to pick up the ball, mm-hmm. you know, and so having depth, and I think that most, most uh, chef-centric partnerships are always lacking that business type, you know. Uh, my entire career, I was heads down in a kitchen. I wasn't even up in the office, you know. I wasn't analyzing uh, how capital works, how P&Ls work. And, and so I think finding that, that, that business structure to the side of business. A sustainable restaurant isn't one that just buys heirloom products and, and organic meat. 
a sustainable restaurant is, is one that, that has longevity. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, I think one thing, too, that we can learn from you is that you had such an incredible all-or-nothing approach to your career that you constantly had that hands-on uh, attitude. And when you're getting all this hand-on uh, experience, I'm sure you're finding what your strengths and weaknesses are, too. And that's another really important thing <clears throat> and why it's so important to get that experience so you can find your yang, so you know where you're right. so you can find somebody who can compensate for where you're not strong. So uh, awesome yeah. stuff. I love it. And uh, the next question I have for you, Chef, is uh, what advice do you have for finding and hiring great people? Uh, it, it is... <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this topic for about an hour. It's at the forefront <laughs> of where our company is. We're, we're opening two new projects uh, in the next couple of months here mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco. And that will the two new projects will bring the team at restaurant group up to about 230, 250 employees. Okay. That's a massive, that's a massive yeah. amount of employees that's to manage, right? right? And, mm-hmm. and I think one of, my, one of my strong points and one of my old, always one of my strengths was my management style mm-hmm. on the floor in the in the trenches with the troops and you know making calls and judgments and, and pushing a team and that's something that I love about the side of the, that side of the industry. You have know, 230, 250 employees. It's very hard to be in every single trench all, all at the same time. And and one of our key philosophies, I, I want zero turnover in all of our restaurants. I want people to be here in seven, eight, ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to do with mentorship mm-hmm. and empowerment, mm-hmm. you know, empowering and trickling down. You know, I want the chef de cuisines of our restaurant uh, to mentor every single person in that restaurant. There's a balance between, you know, um, empowerment and just saying, okay, you got it. And, you know, uh, it takes mentorship for me with every single manager, and that's front of the house. That's, that's uh, chef de cuisine, sous chefs, you know, he- headquarters of, People want to feel like they're learning, right? That's why that's why we're in this this, in, this industry. Is people go to a restaurant, they work for for a while, and they go on to learn from the next opportunity. And I want to always be able to give that opportunity within this restaurant group. I want an extern that starts here day one mm-hmm. to learn from us, go away, and come back as a sous chef one day, come back as a lead line cook, come back as a a chef cuisine and it's it's creating a, a farm culture of uh, being able to you know, I'm so sick of chefs saying, Well there's no good there's no good cooks out of there. All these cooks coming from culinary schools, they're you know, they don't even they don't even want to work hard anymore. They don't want to do this and that's really up to us as industry leaders to train and to teach, to create a, a uh, you know, a, a system where, you know, my restaurants have to work like culinary schools. Mm-hmm. I have to be teaching. I have to, I love it. To, to, for people to feel satiated. And that's, that's the number one thing for us that we're, we're constantly pushing education and, and, you know. I love it, man. And I, I feel like uh, one of the biggest excuses, I mean, there's, there's no you know secret that that is a big problem with our industry of, is finding good people and hanging on to them. But I think too, too often people are always looking to point the finger and they, uh, they right. don't ever take, you know, uh, credit for the fact that, or I guess responsibility for not providing opportunity and being a mentor and empowering. And then when people leave, they're all like scratching their heads. Like, what did I do wrong? And it's just like, well, you know, uh, you're giving us incredible advice. And I, you answered my next question, which is that once you find these incredible people, what's your advice for keeping them? And I think, uh, you know, that mentorship and empowerment is huge, but what do you look for? Like, how do you find these people and what are you looking for? 
indies people? Um, I think that uh, another another one of my strong uh, 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 or my, one of my strengths is the interview process, and I can sit down with somebody within five minutes. I'll I'll, I'll know if they're they're the right person. And uh, resumes, uh, I think a lot of people don't really realize how little resumes have to do with this this mm-hmm. uh, this industry. I, when I went to uh, Lawfully. Uh, that was in 2002. Mm-hmm. That's the last time. That's the last time I ever printed a resume. So what I've never you- printed a resume because what what was I was I was working hard for great people and those great people yeah. were pushing me in directions. Mm-hmm. You need to go to France to mm-hmm. to work here. You need to you need to work in this other restaurant on your days off in San Francisco. And it was constantly pushing from other people. Uh, we we strive for attitude mm-hmm. beyond anything, mm-hmm. and and you know. I don't want the the meat cook that has a resume of six years cooking meat in a restaurant. He's amazing. He's got scars up his arms. And the guy's an asshole. I mean, it <laughs> doesn't fit into our our, our restaurant group. Yeah. You know, it's attitude and it's like willing. It, it's willingness. You know, willingness to, to, to push them to push the seat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's I just it. it's so. So attitude, attitude with all. Awesome, man. You know? I love it. All right. So uh, I have to ask you now the next question, Chef, is, I mean, I've noticed that so many of my past guests, one of the reasons why they're so successful, they're constantly learning, and they're readers. Is there a book, a restaurant book that is a must-read or a magazine or some kind of industry resource that you would love to share with our listeners today? Um, flour and water pasta. All right. What is so awesome about <laughs> flour and water pasta? No, tell us what it is. It's fine. Uh, no, it's just, we have a, uh, we did just come out of, uh, with a cookbook uh, a couple of months ago with, with 10 Speed Press, something that we're really proud of. Okay. Um, we, we have a, uh, we have a test kitchen above flour and water, uh, and it has a, a large library in it. And we, I selfishly built it for myself, but it's also <laughs> for the cooks, anybody within the restaurant group and cooks can check out books and, um, it was, I wouldn't. Uh, One of those. I just want to say I wouldn't that? say that's selfish because I mean you have to invest in yourself and you have to be always growing yeah. yourself and challenging yourself yeah. and it, if you take care of yourself you'll be able to take care of everybody underneath you. So uh, I didn't Absolutely. mean to interrupt, but it, yeah, sorry. No, 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 totally. The, um, the cookbooks was such a fundamental part of my career that uh, I think they're so incredibly incredibly important they're literally research you know mm-hmm. to be an educated cook and um the uh one of the one of the books we we kind of sat down with harold mckee uh, who wrote on food and cooking i think he, he wrote it in 1984 um i was i was born in uh 1983 okay and uh the uh that cookbook written so long ago a year after i was born still has so much relevance uh you know he was the first food scientist to really come out there to really you know put a lot of hard facts into a book it's still i always say it's still the number one stolen book from our library and it was written so long ago um i think it just gives an amazing foundation to to food science and it's not a book that you should read from cover to cover it should be you know an encyclopedia for how things work if you're interested in albumin uh, look it up on on food and cooking and understand how it works in, the, in addition. What was the so, name and title of that the, the author and uh, title of that book again? So Harold McGee. Okay. 
And the, the title of the book is On Food and Cooking. Awesome. I love it. And, uh, but, I do, but I do highly recommend Flour and Water Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Harold McGee is actually in there when uh, he kind of helped us along with a couple I, of questions. <laughs> I will be sure to have both books in the show notes. And uh, I also I want to uh, find out, because you say one of your strengths is finding these good people and treating people right, is there a book on leadership that you read and that you would be willing to share with us? Um, you know, I don't uh, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, Danny Meyer's book, uh, Setting the Table, I think really touches on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's more of a – of a front of the house uh, perspective, but I think it definitely touches on it. Um, there's not really one that I can that, that I can give an example of though, right. outside of that. Thank you for uh, sharing it, Danny Myers. Yeah, that is an incredible book to you, and uh, I think we hear about that one quite often on the show. But I had yeah. to try. I figured there might be another one up in yeah. the head of yours. All right. So the next question I have for you, Chef, is uh, I mean, it's no secret that technology is evolving faster than ever and uh there's so many new types of technologies and services and products coming to the market every day that can make us more profitable more efficient more uh effective and just you know saving that time to to do the things we love to do um is there a product or service uh, that you're using in your restaurant some type of new technology or maybe an app on your cell phone that you use and that you would love to share with us that you guys all kind of bounce around with each other that you know could just be worth sharing to our audience my god i think that i am the uh, <laughs> i don't know if i'm the best person to i i uh i get constantly uh i, I lose my phone for for weeks on end <laughs> and uh, I forget all my passwords all the time for Twitter and Facebook, and um, I am I am honestly the uh, the wrong guy to ask a tech question to. Let me think here. I think you, I think you stumped me on this one. It's all right. <laughs> we can we can go on to yeah. the next one. I don't want to. Yeah, it's cool. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna go pass on that one. All right, Sorry. sounds good. I'll get your Yang on the show. Maybe he can uh, help us yeah. with that question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. The next question I have for you, Chef, is uh, what is your advice on marketing? I don't know if this is your Yang's territory too, but I mean, being. Nah. A part of it all. What what have you seen your restaurant group doing? What's your best advice based off of what you guys have done with your own restaurant group, and that you could yeah recommend? yeah no certainly social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, this entire thing, the marketing of a restaurant in the last five years has changed dramatically. Okay, you know, instantly. I mean, with a, with a smartphone becoming increasingly increasingly more powerful, with social media increasingly more powerful, it's insane the outreach that a professional chef has. I can go on Twitter right now and I can reach out to a chef in Brazil and we can start a conversation. I mean, that that's insane. That's so crazy to me. I can reach out to, you know, I can reach out for sponsorship for an event. I can reach out literally to 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 guests of our restaurant. We we've learned, I mean, if you ask any any chef there's a lot of different perspectives out there with public relation companies and how they fit in with restaurants. And for us, what we we uh, we really realize is that we want we want to be able to take everything in house. When mm-hmm. I say in house, meaning learning from the experts that are out there and then develop it within our restaurant group. What we uh, have found that really works best for us is that we took 
what we call communications in-house. So we have a communications director that reaches out to media, that reaches out to our entire organization, mm-hmm. um, and that may be an email of a great event that's coming up. And and when we certainly use outside uh, PR companies as well, and, and, and I think it, it's a needed thing to be able to voice your opinion, to voice your take or your stance on the industry, and... I mean, that's an entire, I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. a long answer, you know? No, it's a good <laughs> answer. It's very thorough. <laughs> no, you did. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Thank you for sharing that, Chef. So, all right, we're going to move on to the next question now. And uh, that question is its kind of like the, the way we're going to really end with a big bang. And if you could go back in time to, you know, when you first decided that this was going to be your career, your passion, and maybe when you were... Uh, making the move out west for the first time to San Francisco, and you could give yourself your your past self one piece of of business advice. What would it be? Another great question. We shove financials and the business structure down all of our managers' throats. Okay. And the only reason the only reason that we do that, like I want to push, I want to push our our managers, our sous chefs, chefs of cuisines, to work with our numbers, to work with our P and L, to fully, fully understand them because I didn't have anybody pushing myself back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When I was coming up, I was so focused on how to make that souffle that I didn't have a care in the world how much it costs to, to make that souffle or, or what mm-hmm. goes on behind numbers. And so I didn't really expose myself to, to numbers um, and the business side of how a restaurant works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish at the very, very beginning that I uh, – that I incorporated more of that into the the foundation of my career, you yeah. know. And is there a financial resource you you do share with your managers, like a specific resource that you guys shove down their throats, like you said? Um, I mean, it really starts with our uh, our P and L. We we we've gone. I'm still the guy that's like I'm creating this dish, and and yeah. all the sous chefs are around me, and have to cost it out. And you know, I'm like, yeah. not. I just want to be the creative one. But um, we we go all the way down to we, we've set we've already set a, a structure internally our company that we have daily P and Ls. We know all the way all the way down to how much we're spending on food labor um per day you know and i think it's it's uh you know there's there's a lot of um you can easily outsource your your p&l books at a restaurant yeah whatever state whatever city that you're in if you just do a really simple google search you'll you'll see a lot of uh uh, outsourcing for p&ls and and and, uh numbers that are uh, associated with restaurants and you hire them for a little bit. You really learn the in and outs of it, and you can start, you know, uh, internally at your company. Awesome, yeah. And it said so many times on the show that people that the best piece of business advice is to know the numbers. And I think in a roundabout, right. that's basically what you're saying is know your numbers. Uh, you have to be able to quantify your business so you can see what direction you're going, what's working, what's not working, and numbers right. don't lie. So awesome. And, and I do. You know, yes. we we, uh, we we always uh, go back and forth to my partners, and I'm always joking around. I mean, like, you know, I could, I certainly, uh, you know, money has never been a driving force for me. It's never pushed me in a direction. It's just something that, you know, I at times care less about. You know, I want to make a great product, or I want to make a great atmosphere, and, you know, screw the money. Who cares about it? But like I said before, a sustainable restaurant is one that can continue. Mm-hmm. You know, and you Absolutely. have to make certain decisions to, to allow – your business structure you owe to your employees. You know, we we 
have 250 employees, you know, we're responsible to, to provide for them and, and to be able to pay them this week and next week, you know. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Absolutely love it. You've been so incredible. I've asked you all the questions I have. Is there a question you think I could have asked you, Chef, that would have brought more value to this interview? Oh, man. Well, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I think, well, I think that uh, maybe a lot of um, listeners don't know quite uh, about the Nativist Restaurant Group uh, right now, so I can just kind of give a couple of minutes to, to what Nativist Group is. Yeah, please do. Uh, man. Enlighten yeah, us. so so flower. So it's myself and two business partners that started it in that kind of mentorship line. We just started a uh, a line of uh, junior partners. So we just have three brand new uh, junior partners that we brought in that are amazing, amazing individuals to help push the restaurants. So we have Flower and Water, uh, which is rustic Italian, totally overrated Italian restaurant in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Salumeria is our Salumeria is a very classic shop from uh, Bologna that's cured meats, cheeses. We do all of our own cured meats in house, whole animal butchery as well. Awesome. Um, from prosciuttos to terrines to whatever it is, uh, it's open daily for lunch. We have sandwiches and salads and cured meat platters and stuff like that. Central Kitchen is more of a northern town, or I'm sorry, more of a northern California restaurant, whatever the hell that means. Okay. <laughs> but still kind of being the ongoing conversation of what <laughs> northern California food is. And then we are opening, we're redoing the Swedish American Hall, which is a uh, Swedish American Hall was built in 1907. Uh, it has a Cafe Nord, It's an underground bar that's operated since 1907 all the way through Prohibition, and we're redoing Cafe de Nord, the, you know, American bar food. It's kind of set in, like, the 1930s, early 40s, uh, the decor to kind of bring it back to that era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then above that, we're opening Ache, which we just made. Uh, Ryan Pownow, who's my long-term uh, chef de cuisine for the restaurant group, we just made him a partner awesome. in Ache, a Spanish restaurant. And then above that is a music venue. So <laughs> ever dull on, moment. Man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, at the end of every episode, I let my guests uh, give themselves a little bit of a pitch and uh, to let I, th- I think that will say that was your uh, your your uh, your closing statement. And uh, what's the best way for the folks at home to connect with you? I mean, you sound like an incredible company to work for. I really love how you call yourself a mentor and how you're investing in your employees. And you sound like a restaurant group I would want to work for. So if you guys are out in California um, and they want to connect with you, how, how can we do that? Well, I just got to state now that we don't pay much. <laughs> well, you, well, you pay the, uh, uh, lessons learned. Yeah. The, I mean, the, easy, the easiest way is every single restaurant has an info at. So info at Fire and Water, info at Salumaria, info at uh, Central Kitchen. Um, we have a Nictimius Restaurant Group uh, website. Uh, all the other websites, Central Kitchen, Salumaria, Fire and Water, they all lead to the Nictimius Restaurant Group. Um, and every single email that's sent to the company that says, you know, attention, Thomas, will always get uh, siphoned down to me. So whether he's you know, just send an, uh, an email in to info or careers at Natimius, and they will all come to me. Awesome. Beautiful. And uh, who is one restaurant professional who inspires you that you think would make a great guest mentor on the show? And this is your opportunity to call them out. I sound like a broken record because <laughs> I always recommend them. But uh, Nick and uh, Courtney at Bar Jartine in San Francisco, I think, are doing 
some of the most interesting food in this country. Awesome. And talk about a uh, you know a, a new take on old world processes. I mean, like they're they're the real deal, uh, hardworking chefs. Awesome. Look out, Nick and Courtney. I am coming after you. Chef, you have been incredible. There is no questioning that you are unstoppable. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and advice, and uh, you are much, much appreciated. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. My pleasure. Take care. All right. Thank you all for joining us today here at Restaurant Unstoppable. If you guys found value... In today's episode, and you want more episodes just like this, you can help me out simply by shooting me an email at eric at restaurantunstoppable.com and tell me who you think would make a great guest on the show. I will do everything humanly possible to get them here to share their stories and their advice with us, or just simply tell me what you think the show's missing, what can make it better, and I will listen to your advice and I will do what I can to make this show the best it can possibly be. Lastly, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They're helping so much. Thank you so much if you guys have left reviews. Uh, You have no idea uh, how far that goes. Alright guys, until next time, peace out. And uh, you, you don't have to hang up there, but uh, yeah, man, okay. you were great. Uh, you really were. Thank you for uh, giving us some great actionable, uh, you know, advice. I love how you use the word mentor because I call my podcast a melting pot of mentors. So uh, it's great <laughs> stuff, dude. Um, yeah, so, cool. 
Yeah, Kit if was. You ever, if you ever make it out to the Bay Area, let us know. I might do We're that. We're gonna talk around all the restaurants. Uh, that would be incredible, man. Um, I can be anywhere in the country for less than fifty dollars, so I might take you up on that aviation background. Oh, deal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, and actually, that kind of brings me to my next question. Um, one of the things I've learned uh, from starting this podcast is just to get out there and meet as many people. And I, I'm my next step is kind of just to get out there and to work for free. Um, obviously, just doing the, the crappiest job possible. I'll scrape the grease off your fryers, do whatever you want me to do, just to kind of get in there and to see how these people, people like you, uh, are are running their teams and the the products and services they're using. So I can kind of funnel this information to one place, my listeners, so everybody right. can collaborate and uh, share knowledge. So uh, if you're up for that, awesome. I'll be in touch for sure. Yeah, we have a uh, we have a uh, open door policy with uh, Dodges. It all it all runs through the chef's cuisines, and as long as we have, you know, because we. Um, we, we, do, we do have a fair amount. As it works out with timing and there's enough space, yeah. we'd love to have you out. Beautiful, man. I, I will be in touch in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chef. Take care. All right. Yeah, talk to you soon. All right. Take care.